Thank you, Pastor Spencer. Is that not true? He's no disappointment to me. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, please. Once you get to 1 Timothy chapter 6, put something there to hold that place and turn back to Nehemiah chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 6, hold the place, turn back to Nehemiah chapter 4, please. We're working on some scripture verses to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our verses are found in 2 Peter chapter 1. The whole passage is verses 3 through 11, and I trust that you are starting to read that passage of Scripture and apply it to your mind and your heart. This month we're working on verses 3 and 4 of that passage of Scripture. Let's read these verses, quote them, I trust, begin to quote them together. We will begin with the reference and we will follow with the verses and then finish with the reference. Here we go. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Start to put those in your mind, start to apply them to your heart, and I know that they will be a blessing to you. How many of you have half-finished projects at home? Yeah, most of us do, right? We get all excited about doing something, about bringing something up to to speed, about changing something in our lives, and and we get through the process, and then all of a sudden, we hit a snag, and it stops. And then we just get comfortable. Our wives kind of get content. They quit bugging us a lot. And that project just kind of sits there. You know, that's a lot like the Christian life, isn't it? It's part of sanctification. Positionally, when we receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we are placed within the body of Christ, and that is an exciting time. We ring the bell. We encourage one another. We shake hands. We say, welcome to the family, for as many as receive Christ, to them are given the privilege to become the children of God, even to them that believe on His name. So once you're in the family, positionally sanctified, That is a wonderful, wonderful time. One day, we will receive permanent sanctification, ultimate sanctification, where this corruptible body will put on incorruption. This mortal body will put on immortality. Then we'll be brought to pass the saying that's written, death, I love this, is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last Wednesday, right here in this worship center, we had a victory service because Aubrey Nesset had been promoted to glory. There was more excitement going on last Wednesday than there is right here. But it was wonderful to review how God had used Aubrey in significant ways spiritually. I walked out of that service and I told John Paternoster, I said, boy, after that service, I'm about ready to question my salvation. 
John looked at me in his great wisdom and said, Pastor, it's not your salvation. You ought to be questioning it's your sanctification. <laughs> but that's where we are, right? Then we struggle with these kinds of things. In our passage in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, says the wall is half finished. They don't get it finished until chapter 6. And so the people are trying to work through all of the challenges that are part of a half-finished wall. Now, I've shared with you that there are two areas that we need to be aware of as we work through those challenges. The first area is that of perseverance. We need to make sure that we are ready to endure, to go through the process. The second area that we need to work on is pressing on. And last week, I shared with you the distinction between the two, perseverance and pressing on. Perseverance begins to help us understand something about what is internal in our lives. Pressing on is external to our lives. Perseverance is mental. Pressing on is physical. Perseverance has to do with an attitude. Pressing on is action. Perseverance is a decision that we make. Pressing on is determination to follow through with that decision, getting the job done. Now, are you in Nehemiah chapter 4? Because as you look at getting the job done, you recognize pretty quickly that there are challenges associated with the job. The reality is that the enemy will attack in your life. Follow along, Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to begin with verse 1, read through verse 3, and then I'm going to skip around a little bit. I'll let you know where I'm going. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Now when Symbalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these people Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? And burned ones at that. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Jump over to verse 11, will you please? And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Verse 21, please. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night, and may labor by day. 
So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Let me tell you something. When you're trying to build the wall, the enemy is going to attack. And he is going to attack you in two ways. First of all, he's going to try to discourage you. He is going to try to get you to doubt. He is going to try to get you to think it's not worth it. He is going to try to get you to question some things about your life. He is going to do everything possible to put you under pressure so that you are unable to fulfill the task at hand. You ever get discouraged? You ever wonder whether or not you can go on? You ever ask yourself, can I take another day like this? Will it ever end? Jim Momeyer in the Kononia class is teaching about contentment. Paul learned in whatsoever state he was therewith to be content. Let me tell you, Satan will do everything he can to discourage you. To tell you that the task is not worth it. To tell you that the energy will not be well spent. To tell you that you do not have enough time. To tell you it will never get any better. He will try to discourage you. And if that doesn't work, he will try to defeat you. He will try to kill you. You remember how Satan came before the throne of God? When God identified Job as a righteous man? And Satan said to God, God, Job's only a righteous man because you blessed him so. He received all these things from you, God, and if you hadn't blessed him, then Job wouldn't be quite so righteous. He wouldn't be quite so content. He wouldn't have it all together in his relationship with you. And God said, okay, Satan, take it all away. He did. Satan came back. Said to God, God, the only reason Job's still with you is because I haven't touched his body yet. God said, okay, touch his body, but don't kill him. Satan will do everything he can to defeat you. Not only to put you under pressure, but to knock the props right out from underneath you. And that way may well be some physical challenges in your life and in mine. The enemy is going to attack. And he is going to attack in a very special way to try to get your attention and try to make sure that you are unwilling, unable to complete the task to build the wall. Now, we look at Nehemiah and we discover that Nehemiah in a very special way was not looking for a fight. But he was ready for a fight. Nehemiah was not the aggressor, but he was ready to defend. And Nehemiah was intentional. Intentional about preparation and protection. That is exactly where you and I need to be in this battle. We may not be looking for a fight, but we may be, better be ready to fight. We will study in 1 Timothy this morning. Paul said, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. 
I want you to know I'm a lover, not a fighter. I would much rather have people like me than dislike me. I would much rather be in a position where everybody's smiling and everybody's okay and everybody's just really encouraged. Isn't that great? Kind of like our family here at Calvary Baptist Church, right? Yeah. Until my phone rings on Monday morning. I just wish Sundays would keep going. I'm not looking for a fight. But I'll tell you what. The Bible gives us some things that we ought to be fighting for. And the Bible provides for us a foundation that you and I can stand very very securely on. By the way, Paul does give to us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Right? And I need to be intentional. Intentional in my preparation and intentional in my protection of the truths of this book. Last Tuesday night, we had a deacon's meeting. And I brought something to the floor And every deacon to the man said, Pastor, when you want to discuss that, let me know. I'm not coming. (laughs) I thought we're in this together. (laughs) But it was a a challenging issue. And we're going to have to work through at some point in in our lives in the ministry. And nobody wants to do that. I understand that. But you and I need to be ready. To engage the enemy because the enemy will attack us. Now, how do we do that? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Will you please? 1 Timothy chapter 6. We started to look at this passage last week. 1 Timothy is written to Timothy, who is pastoring in Ephesus. Ephesus is located in Asia Minor, it's now Turkey. It's an inland city that was really the crossroads of Asia Minor. Anybody that was going anywhere passed through Ephesus. Connie and I used to live in Quincy, Illinois. Quincy, Illinois is on the Mississippi River. Just if you know the shape of of Illinois, it's that bulge that comes out north of St. Louis. That's where Quincy, Illinois is. Because it was such a prominent city during river traffic time, they almost made it the state capital. There was a bumper sticker in Quincy, Illinois that says, Quincy is a real place, but there's no way to get there. That, that was pretty true. There were lots of ways to get to Ephesus. And people were going in and out, and commerce was flowing in and out, and it was a very important, very upbeat kind of city. Because of that, it had a lot to offer. It had plays and dramas. There was just a lot of culture in the city. It had goods and anything you wanted to buy, you could get in Ephesus. It also had a temple, a temple of Diana, and we'll talk about that as we share together in just a little bit. But the temple of Diana was a temple of prostitution. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Up on a hill in Ephesus, a very prominent place 
Paul first went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 18. He just kind of passed through. And then in Acts chapter 19, we discover that he went back to Ephesus and began a ministry that lasted for two full years. As you read Acts chapter 19, you discover that it was a ministry to both Jews and Gentiles. There was a mixture within the church. A wonderful demographic of God's family was identified in the church at Ephesus. And if you read carefully, you discover that in Acts chapter 19 is the last time in Acts where it says that people understood that the Holy Spirit was come upon them and they spoke in tongues as an evidence of God's Spirit in their lives. You study the book of Acts and you discover that there are three instances where the people spoke in tongues. One is Acts chapter 2. That's the day of Pentecost. A Jewish audience where the Holy Spirit came upon them. They had no clue what the Holy Spirit was. And it evidenced its himself in speaking of tongues. The next one is Acts chapter 10. A Gentile congregation who also had no idea about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and they evidenced that coming by speaking in tongues. And the third one is here in Acts chapter 19 where it's a mixed demographic, Jews and Gentiles, and again God shows his power and his love in sending to them the Holy Spirit of God. Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus, and he was there at Paul's direction. Now Paul's writing 1 Timothy to encourage him. Because Ephesus, the church, was a very important place of worship. A place where people gathered together. A place where people worshipped the true God. A place where the evidence of God's Spirit was upon them. Verse 11 of chapter 6. But as for you, O man of God, now stop right there. Last week we took a little time and talked about this man of God thing. This was not a title for Timothy. This was his character. This was not something that Timothy did. It was who Timothy was. The term man of God is used twice in First and Second Timothy. It's used here in chapter 6 and it's used in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where it talks about Scripture being profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, if you're going to have that character, that the man of God may be complete, truly furnished unto all good works. What's that tell us? You cannot be a man, a woman of God without the Word of God. How you doing? If this is the only time that you get the Word of God applied to your life, you're not doing real well. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against God. We use it so that we might be known as a people of God, not as a title, but as a character reference. This morning one of our men came to me and he said, I'm applying for a new job and they're going to be checking character references. Would you mind being one of those? I said, no problem. I'd love to tell them you're a character. 
this is going to be one of the fun ones when I receive that call. But you, O oh man of God, character in our lives because of the word of God given to our lives. But you, O oh man of God, flee these things. Now, what are the things, these things that are given to us? Very quickly, let me give them to you. Verse 7, same chapter, chapter 6, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and we, can t we cannot take anything out of the world. The first of these things we need to understand is we need to be willing to travel light. You didn't bring anything in with you, you're not going to take anything out. You need to travel light. Last week I showed you some pictures of my, my mountain climbing experience. Oh, it was a great time. We learned to travel light. You know what we did? We cut the tags out of our clothing. I'm serious. Because we didn't want to carry any extra weight at all. My brother and I had paperback books that we were reading on the trip. When we went to climb the mountain, we tore those paperback books apart and only took the section that we were going to need while we were on the mountain. We didn't want the extra weight. You and I need to flee things that weigh us down. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 12 is all about? Right? Setting aside the weights and the sin which does so easily entangle us and running with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of it. Right? What's holding you back in your Christian life? Flee those things. But not only do we need to make sure we're traveling light, Jump down, if you will, to verse 8. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. We need to just look at the basics. We need to concentrate on the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. Connie has a favorite meal. Anything she doesn't have to cook or clean up. But Connie knows this. There's something that bugs me every time we go to a restaurant. She can't decide what she wants to eat. I go in there with a plan. If it's Mexican, I'm having fajitas. I like fajitas. Or chimichay. I, I decide what I'm going to have before I get there, right? Now, now, Connie, she looks at the menu, right? We're one of those couples that sits there and the waitress says, do you need a few more moments? My stomach's growling. The only thing I need is some food. <laughs> we need to concentrate on the basics. We have food. We have clothing. We need to be content. And lastly, we need to make sure that we are aware of temptation. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation in a, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many 
It is so easy in our culture to become tempted with what we don't have. When Connie and I lived on the eastern side of the state, we lived in Oakland County. At that time, Oakland County was the third highest per capita income county in the country. A lot of automobile executives, a lot of manufacturing executives, a lot of stuff in Oakland County. Our kids went to the public school. That was our choice. We realized as parents that we had a lot of work to do with sending our kids to public school. But they went to the public school. One of the challenges our son had was he had to ride the bus to school when all of his classmates were driving better cars than we were driving. And so we had to help him be aware of temptation because it so easily could have infiltrated his Flee these things, Timothy. Look out. They are there to discourage you. They are there to defeat you because you are under attack. Look out. But not only are there some things to flee, there are some things to follow. Fleeing and follow go together. They really do. They're both active terms. Fleeing has the, way, has the idea of being a fugitive. To get away as much as possible and maintain your freedom. We need to flee those things so they don't weigh us down, so we maintain the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Following, on the other hand, is an athletic term. And it has the idea of a fanatic pursuit so that we might obtain it's used in wrestling. It's used in boxing. It's used in the army. And you and I need to understand that there is a fanaticism of pursuing the things of God. We, we cannot do this without an intentional desire from our lives. After that memorial service on Wednesday, I asked myself, am I following as Aubrey followed? I think everybody who was here asked that same question. Am I fanatic about making sure that the right kinds of things are being built into my life? College football is going to start here pretty quick. Some of you have already started to wear your maize and blue or your green and white. Or your gold and blue, is it, Jim? Kind of. Or your scarlet and gray. Not many of you will do that. I have the opportunity this year to attend four games at the big house. My son-in-law has season tickets, and so he and I have already got our schedules together, and, and uh, we have our calendars marked out. So, so we, we're planning to be over there. There will be 105,000 fanatics there. I don't know why, but in the big house, they only give you 18 inches per seat. 
it's not near enough, I'm telling you. But I mean, people with cowbells, people doing silly things that they would never, well, some of these folks would, doing another public venue, another public setting. I mean, they're fanatic, aren't you, Ted? You and I ought to be just as fanatic about the things of God as we follow them. Now, Paul gives Timothy some things to follow. There are six character qualities that Paul gives to him. The first one is, follow this. Pursue righteousness. Righteousness has the idea of actions. Doing what is right for God, doing what is right for man, making sure that what takes place is after the truths of this book because it's the right thing to do. It's not the convenient thing to do. It's not the easy thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the actions of our lives. Not only pursue righteousness, but pursue godliness. Godliness is the attitude of our lives. Godliness of our motives, our worship, our reverence to God. Godliness with contentment is great gain, isn't it, Jim? And you and I need to pursue that kind of attitude that if God's in charge, that's all that matters. If God's in control, I can handle that because He understands what I need. If God is on the throne, nothing is going to escape His notice and he is going to take care of me because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? One of the qualities that needs to be part of our lives. Titus, we read these words. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope. Amen? You looking forward to Jesus coming back? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. But between here and there, I better have the attitude of godliness in my life. Godliness, faith. Faith is the assurance. It's the confident trust. It's the dependability on God, of God to keep his promises. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? If I had known last week what I know this week about last week, I'd have been scared to death. I, I mean, the, the great question that all the candidates are being asked, right? If you know now what George Bush didn't know, would you have gone in? What kind of stupid question is that? But the reality is I can trust God to meet all of my needs no matter what. I can live a life of faith and confidence and assurance that my God is in control and my God will take care of me 
and all things will work together because they are given to me by my God. Faith. Love. Agape love, self-sacrificing love. This is the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son kind of love. A quality that needs to come from our lives as we share with one another. As we put our arms around one another. As we encourage one another and grow together in this Christian life. Steadfastness. Steadfast, advancement. Moving forward. That's that pressing on kind of stuff. That's that attitude of perseverance. That's that keeping going no matter what kind of stuff that takes place in our lives. And gentleness. It's the same word that is translated in the Sermon on the Mount, meekness. It's the same word that describes Moses. For Moses is said to be the, the meekest man who ever lived. Now, meekness is not weakness. Gentleness is attention to others. It's power under control. It's ministering to and sharing with. The word is never used in a negative sense in the New Testament. It's kindness. It's recognizing that it's not just about my feelings. Somebody else has got feelings too. And I need to share in their lives. These six qualities... need to be part of our being so that we are identified as men and women of God. And then what's he say? He says, Timothy, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. John MacArthur said, a man of God is known by what he fights for. Think about that. A man of God is known by what he fights for. The word fight here is the word from which we get our word agonize, strain, work hard at it. It has to do with running the race, concentration and discipline, conviction as well as effort. And then it says fight the good fight of faith. The noble fight, the excellent fight. This is worth fighting for, folks. This has value. I can't tell you how many times I have fought for something and attained it and found out why. Why in the why in the world? Why did that bother me? And then faith, the body of truth. Jude says it's that we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So, what do we do? We flee these things. We follow after these things, knowing that there is a fight that is worth fighting. And that is so important. Why do we do this? Because it's the energy of our lives. Back to Nehemiah chapter 4. You kept your Bibles marked there, didn't you? 
Nehemiah chapter 4. Let me begin with verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. We were building on the wall. Who were building on the wall? Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side when he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. They were energized for the task that was before them. And if you'll look at chapter 6, they finished the wall. They got it done. They completed what God had called them to do. You know, God has called us here at Calvary Baptist Church with a great purpose. We have that in our purpose statement, right? To multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate, obedient, dependent, right? Connected, authentic, and relevant. Why? So that we can multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate, obedient, dependent, connected, authentic, and relevant. Folks, right now the wall's half built. We're in a wonderful worship center. Amen? You enjoying it? But that does not complete the task. The task before us is not to finish this worship center and pay it off in three years. The task before us is to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that has always been the task before us. My concern is that we'll get content because the wall's half done. Because we're all enjoying what we have around us. Because of what our God has done, and our God did this, by the way. Wasn't us. Our God did this. But it was only half the project. The other half is reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a Rotarian here in Battle Creek. This year, the Battle Creek Rotary Club is celebrating their 100th year here in Battle Creek. One of the goals that we have is 100 members by the end of this year. The gentleman who was the head of the membership committee is now the president of the Rotary Club. So he did not feel he could take assignment. So they asked me if I'd take it. You know what? It's different on that side and it was sitting at a rotary meeting, knowing that there was some responsibility to fulfill the goal of 100 Rotarians doing our 100 year. By the way, we only have 12 to go. Any of you like to be a Rotarian? See me after the service. Folks, 
each of us sits on that side of the wall. And each of us has the responsibility of completing the task and winning our friends and family members, our neighbors and acquaintances, winning them by the love of Christ to the love of Christ so that they can be born again in the family of God. Wall's only half done. And it's our job to complete the task, knowing the enemy's going to attack. So what do we do? We flee some things, we follow some character qualities, and we understand that it's a noble fight as we engage the enemy for the honor and glory of our God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, truth for our lives. Help us to take these truths, use them, build on them so that we might complete the task that is before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.